0: Dr. Charles Talbot, recording for Clear Minds, Inc., Outpatient Therapy Division, Internal Records. July 9th, 2022. The office is finally starting to resemble an actual office. The floor is mostly cleared of debris, revealing the large deep red rug underneath. It's well worn. Gold inlays in a now unrecognizable pattern. It's badly traveled and frayed. Stains and what appears to be burn marks are scattered throughout it. It will have to be replaced. (sighs) Likely the flooring, too. It's a shame. The hardwood floors must have been beautiful at one point. Now, however, the wood's finish has long since eroded. It's uneven and warped in several spots. Most notable by the large windows at the far end. The scraps of paper and notepads have been thrown in boxes. For now, I have them lining nearly the entire length of one of the walls. In order to expedite this, however, I stopped checking their contents. Just two categories exist at the moment, loose paper and notepads. Additionally, I found another labeled box of files. It was buried under one of the mounds of paper. It reads CMX0589EC. The only guess I have is CM stands for Clear Minds. Beyond that, I have no idea. It's also noteworthy to mention that while cleaning, I didn't find any trash. I had assumed Dr. Olin to simply be a messy person. But I found no takeout boxes, no empty soda or alcohol containers, not so even much a candy bar wrapper. His waste basket near his main desk was empty and collected dust. Like everything concerning Dr. Olin, I have no idea what- What is? Not sure if the recorder is picking this up. There is this loud scratching coming from behind the bookshelf. A wall, perhaps? <sighs> Great. The place has rats now. Not small ones by the sounds of it. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. Very, very big rats. Uh, the thing must have thrown itself against the inside of that wall. It hit hard enough to knock a book off the shelf. Oh, Christ! Okay. Sounds as if it was running toward me. For a moment, I thought the things must also be under the floor. I should.
1: Hello? Anyone in there?
0: For. T- sake. Okay. Hold the- well, on. One moment! I am terribly sorry, but this office is currently closed to the public. If you'd like, I could give you a
1: referral- Clear Minds. You contacted them about sending over help, yes? Oh. Oh, yes, of course. Please, uh, come in. Sorry for the state
0: of the place. Part of the reason I requested help. It was far worse, I assure you.
1: Degraded. I'm sorry? Oh, it's nothing. The office is far more broken than I thought.
0: Ah, yes. It surprised me as well. I had just cleaned up enough to see the floors this morning. It is in no way organized. I I see. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. They didn't tell you? No, they sent me an email yesterday that they were sending someone over. Lacked any real
1: details. Donahue. Lucian Donahue. You're Dr. Charles Talbot, I assume. Yes. Yes, I am. You seem to know a bit
0: more than they told me. <laughs> <laughs> it would appear so, wouldn't it? Or, would you prefer doctor or. Charles is fine when it's just us.
1: So, to be straightforward, what are your qualifications? I've had more than a few interactions with patients. My specialty is how and why things break down. Uh, psychosis, you would say? Good to know. For now, though, I really need help with categorizing and filing. Is that a tape recorder? A bit old school, don't you think? Are are you recording by chance? Huh?
0: Oh, uh, yes. Sorry, it's still running. Clear Minds wants us to record our
1: process here, for internal records. Does it bother you? Not at all, Charles. I heard that Dr. Olin also recorded everything. Is that a Clear Minds thing? Forgive me, I haven't been with the company long. (laughs) I I suppose it is.
0: Before this, I was in the Statistical Data Research Department. I was given a recorder and my ID badge at orientation. I just figured it was easier in that department for notation or something. Do you not... Should I reach out and order you one?
1: No, that won't be necessary. I believe I have one at home. I may have to dig through my closet, mind you. (laughs) Yes,
0: uh, of course. You know what? We don't need to record this. Um, Let's start categorizing these boxes over here, and then I think... Update. Donahue and I worked our way through maybe one-tenth of the loose paper boxes. The filing system is slow going, but it is going. You started recording again. Give a man a warning. My hair is a mess. You're very funny, Donahue. You should do stand-up.
1: Perhaps I will, Think you have a puppet act. Care to be my dummy?
0: That's more your area, I think. Come here for a moment. What did you find? Oh, nothing new. I figured we'd take a break from filing. Another
1: one of our jobs here is to create an audio log of any notes on sessions. Why not just use Dr. Olin's tapes? He recorded all of his sessions. At least I would imagine as much. Standard issue recorders and all. If you find any, let me know. Until
0: then, we have to run off the assumption that they are lost. These two boxes seem to be transcripts of his sessions. Or at least, this one is. And only part of the sessions, it would seem. He... he, uh, transcribed them? For clarity purposes, perhaps? As far as I can tell, he had a certain interest in these ones. Oh, and also, he attached research. Still looking for a pattern as to why. And these labels, what, what do they mean? No clue. Dr. Olin still hasn't responded to any of my emails I sent. Here, why don't you record one? Me? Yes, I want to see if I can get Dr. Olin's desk drawers open. They seem warped. I'll be as quiet as I can. Pick a box, pick a file, and
1: read. You can read. Can't you, Donahue? <laughs> Careful, Charles. I'm the clever one. I got it. Seems simple enough.
0: Remember to sound it out if you get confused.
1: Haha. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go with... cm-x-0589-ec. The files are tightly packed. None seem labeled in any way. Close my eyes and pick at random. And you. All right, let's see what we got here. Patient name, David Snyder. Transcript as follows. Start where I want, huh? I'm not even sure where to begin. How do you know what you want? Serious question. Or, better question, how do you know what you want is what you want? I'm not making much sense, am I? Honestly, I don't know where I want to begin. But I do know where I'd like to. A brief summary of David Snyder. Born August 10th, 1998, to Mary and Patrick Snyder. 5 foot 11, brown hair, blue eyes. David Snyder had two dogs throughout his life and enjoys food with a small amount of spice. He grew up in a mediocre sense. B and C student, not poor, but not privileged either. He has had one serious relationship and four summertime flings. He took a year break from school and is pursuing a degree in digital arts and marketing. He has had no deeper trauma than a broken heart, and is known to always have a bright smile and kind eyes. It was the eyes that were my first clue. Have you noticed them yet? Would you describe them as kind? I wouldn't. They are cold, calculating, and old, very old. I'm not sure exactly how to say this other than to be blunt. I am not David Snyder. I look like him, I sound like him, I even have all of his memories. Don't let these surface things fool you though. I am not him. Who am I, you might ask? Well, that's the question, isn't it? If you find that answer, please let me know. I'm curious about that as well. Imposter syndrome. That's what you're thinking, isn't it? Yeah, and a five minute Google search told me the same thing. I wouldn't be here if I could solve or label this so easily. I know I'm a good artist. Not top of class, but absolutely top five. And this goes for every other aspect of what I do. I know exactly where I stand and my worth when I do. I also know that David Snyder is dead. Or maybe lost beyond reach. In any case, he isn't coming back. The messed up part is, I know I'm the one that killed him or more accurately, replaced him. I repurposed his face, wear his skin, sleep in his bed, eat his food. The only thing I'm sure, absolutely sure, I didn't steal are these eyes. And yes, this is a confession. But no, you can't prove it. Because I'm old. Very old. And very clever. So clever, that even I can't prove it. Because I don't even know why or how I did it. I only have David Snyder's memories, David Snyder's thoughts, David Snyder's emotions. I may not know the why, or the how, or who I am, what I am, but I have an idea of when. It was when I absconded with this life and cast my old one away, That is where I'd like to begin. Want to, however, that's more difficult. Is it the monster or the man that wants their story to be told? I guess we'll find out together, won't we? Since I don't have memories of my own, we must explore this through the lens of the ones I stole. David was always the busy one. He was always bouncing from project to project. Activity to activity, he was always around just long enough to be adored, but gone before he could be loved. He thought he liked it that way, that his independence made him strong, made him protected. In reality, his first love left a bleeding wound, one that he never healed properly. Instead, he darted around using a multitude of people and hobbies as crutches. Never staying too long to be a burden, and as a consequence, the wound would always tear just under the surface. He was damaged long before the accident. One day, little David Snyder was biking. To pick up extra cash, he signed up for one of those delivery services. Delivering food to the overworked students on campus, or the hermits who preferred the wonders of online games to human interactions. It was a great way to see the tightly packed city and the workout did him wonders. Not that he would allow him the comfort of sharing it with another. Or at least, not on a regular basis. He was... distracted. The week prior, he started to write a book. It was dressed up as high fantasy, but anyone who truly knew him, which was no one, would see it for what it really was. A retelling of his life, with perhaps a bit more swordplay and magic. He was lost in thought about the next chapter. The knight and his steed. The brave knight had taken to be a caravan guard, transporting provisions across the kingdom. The knight truly cared for his kingdom and reasoned that all, no matter their kind, should be offered the opportunity to live. Whether it to be the wizards at the academy or the trolls hiding under their bridges, the knight swore to deliver what they needed. The only problem was that David struggled to find the problem that the knight must face. A roadblock. And then it hit him. And by that I mean, literally. Literally. <laughs> Not paying attention, our little David rode into traffic and went tumbling over the side of a car, and wouldn't you know it, past a roadblock. His body flung through the air like a doll thrown by an angry toddler. He crashed hard right over the other side of the orange cones and wooden signs. It wasn't the landing that knocked him unconscious, no, he felt that plenty. The loose concrete and rocks met his face and tore into the arms. The crunch and crack of bones resounded in his ears with each tumble, all leading to the hard, wet thud of his head meeting a newly placed curb. David laid there, broken, bloodied. His vision swam, and it began to blur around the edges, darkness falling into his view like a flock of vultures. And that's when he saw it. A tall thin creature in the rough shape of a human in the distance it just stood stoically its attention focused solely on him his last moments of consciousness would be the sight of that thing's face smooth and devoid of any features as if the skin was pulled and stretched back making even the smallest wrinkles flat however it had one feature that terrified him still had eyes, blue and old, very old eyes. David awoke in the hospital to the rhythmic beeps of machines. He would later learn that he had been there a week, drifting in and out of consciousness. His first true moment of lucidity would be one of confusion, not knowing where he was, how he got there, or what happened to him. Confusion broke into panic. No one was there to explain it to him. No loved one waited by his bedside, holding his hand with dried tears. An immense sadness washed over him that he did not understand. It didn't take long for a nurse to rush in. He was tall, dark-haired, and spoke with a soft and kind voice. Which, of course, David ignored, too panicked, too lost to appreciate. Although, any fits he wanted to throw came in a meek protest. The nurse slowly explained where he was and what happened to him. And like a picture book, his mind followed along, revealing to him the details his mind fought hard to bury. He barely noticed when the nurse left and the doctor took his place. His mind barely clung to what the doctor told him. Multiple fractures, a broken femur, and a slurry of injuries. Bottom line... He was stuck to that bed for a minimum of four weeks physical therapy would soon follow after that david's heart was nearly as broken as his body he had so many plans for those upcoming weeks friends to see a book to write art projects he was involved with none of that sliced into him as much as the hard reality that no one came to visit not a single person throughout the day he came to terms with why he never let anyone in That was the downside of being the ghost of the many friend groups he floated between. Chances were that no one even knew. Not even his parents would have found it odd if he dropped off the face of the planet for a few months. Throughout the day, he lamented his own thoughts, only ever interrupted infrequently by the nurse with the kind voice. David leaked charm. He was the type of person that, without trying, could capture and fascinate groups at a time. Even in his bruised state, with unflattering lights, it was easy and completely unintentional to befriend the staff. Most of all, the nurse. The nurse, whom he would later come to know as Kevin, visited him every day. Quickly, they became friends, and soon after, David found himself hoping for more. David had never felt any attraction to another guy before. But it was his college years what's yet another summer fling he thought after two weeks of shameless flirting kevin finally cracked he had agreed to go on a single date with david but he had to recover first although slightly disappointed he would have to wait david's heart sang and for the first time the old wounds david carried for so very long began to heal His days were spent watching TV and writing in his book when his hands would obey him. A new chapter had been born. The Knight and the Alchemist's Assistant. I'll spare you the details of that one. I'm sure you can already guess. Anyway, his nights, however, were spent with Kevin. All innocently, I promise you. Board games, watching Netflix on his phone, and talking. Lots of talking. Some nights, the conversation would last until the sun would come up, and Kevin's shift would start anew. David's feelings evolved, and so did their romance. Kevin would often take David for roles around the hospital grounds. Once and only once, he broke his ever-vigilant professional code. A single kiss was shared in secret. That one tender moment only strengthened what David already began to suspect. This was not a fling for him. Somehow, against what he thought impossible... He fell in love. But this isn't a love story, and it doesn't have a happy ending. One day, the sky broke open, a downpour, the likes of which the city had not seen in decades descended upon it. Lightning struck and thunder roared. David and Kevin were touring the halls like so many times before. With a loud boom, the hospital was plunged into darkness. Panic swept over David, only briefly. Kevin calmly and kindly wheeled David to the side of the hall. He assured him it was all right, and that the hospital had generators. Any moment, they would kick to life. Many moments passed. Even David knew what this meant. Without power, the effects could be life-threatening. Ventilators, incubators, dialysis machines, the list would go on, he imagined. When it became clear that the generators would not, in fact, do their job, David could hear the slight edge of panicked concern. With promises to be back, Kevin rushed away. David, well, he selfishly protested, but knew it was of no use. David sat there, in an empty hospital hall. His eyes struggled to adapt to the dark. He heard nothing. This wing was rarely used. A once-romantic spot became anxiety itself. The silence only highlighted every tiny sound. Even his own breathing became audible and seemed to echo back at him. Attempting to calm himself, he held his breath. Maybe it would have worked. If not for the fact, he still heard it. The slow, calm sounds of steady inhales and exhales. His attention snapped from one end of the hall to the next. Nothing but shadows and silhouettes of medical cards or perhaps janitorial ones. Perhaps it was a janitor. One who was just as scared as he was, or, in the very least, knew to stand out of the way of the chaos that surely must have been happening not too far away. Hello? He called out. No answer. He repeated himself. Hello? And instantly regretted it rising from behind the shape of the cart something emerged it stood tall and thin david didn't breathe this time not on purpose his heart jumped to his throat it was familiar his mind searched for context the accident flashed through his mind and he remembered while he may be bound to a chair his chair had wheels and he had arms without thinking he let his fear take hold of him and he pushed The thin rubber squeaked against the polished tile as he made his way down the hall. David stole a glance behind him more than once. The thing never moved, never walked, never chased, and yet, each time he cast his attention backwards, there it was, always closer than the last time. Much like the accident, David, sweet David, was not paying attention to where he was going. He was fast approaching a turn in the hallway. He knew too late, if he did not slow down, that he would not make it. He would crash, and that thing, whatever it was, would have no problem catching its prey. Make no mistake, this thing was absolutely a predator. David tried to slow, he really did. He grabbed onto the wheels and fought against them with as much strength as he could. This caused him to crash down to the floor, wheelchair toppling right after. He looked behind him. Feet. Mere feet away, that thing stood, still clasped in the dark. He attempted to crawl away, and adrenaline took over. With searing pain, he forced himself to stand. David ran. Well, he ran as fast as he could in his condition. Somehow he made it to the turn. He tried to steal one last glance behind him. When he did, he saw… nothing. Absolutely nothing. As if finally letting go of the breath he had been saving until this point, he sighed. Could still be around, he reasoned, not taking any chances. He hobbled around the corner, his eyes dared not looking away from the darkness of the hallway. As soon as he rounded the corner, David was pushed violently to the ground. He crawled backwards, pleading and begging, until he heard that kind voice. It was Kevin. He ran into Kevin. They both rounded the corner at the same time. David in his fear-induced state and Kevin with his nurse power walk. David tried to explain in between breaths and gasps. Kevin calmly and kindly reassured him, and it worked. David began to compose himself. Kevin made it easier, of course. He was always so calm, his voice always so kind. His blue eyes, so wise. So... old... In an instant, Kevin's features pulled back, his face becoming smooth, his body twisting and elongating. Kevin lunged forward and the world went black. I woke up a few hours later on the hospital floor. And yes, I did say I. That's when it happened, I think. That's when I stopped being Kevin and started being David. I wouldn't put it together until later after I got a good look at my eyes. So tell me, Doctor. Who do you think wanted to tell this story? Was it the man or the monster? Well, now that is fascinating. The ability to perfectly become another, or rather, should I say, the belief that you can. Paperclip to this is a photo and a letter. The photo seems to be of a driver's license. Kevin Sterling. I can see the appeal. Eye color is circled over the photo. Blue, naturally. Let's see what this letter says. It seems to be from someone called H. Gray. A private detective. The letter seems to be information they dug up on this Kevin fellow. Boring stuff, really. Oh, wait. He hasn't been seen or heard from since the day of the storm. I remember that storm. I'm not mistaken.
0: Sorry. Sorry. This drawer was being stubborn.
1: You really don't know how to give a man a warning, do you, Charles?
0: Not really, no.
1: So, what do you think? Excuse me? About this file. Do try to keep up, Charles. Ah. Uh,
0: I wasn't listening. Not fully. If you're talking about your acting skills, well, I think you'll get whatever part you're applying for at school.
1: Lady Macbeth. That is, of course, if Susie doesn't get it. I hear she's sleeping with the drama teacher, so I'm not optimistic. What? We were doing a bit. Because you said... not
0: that. This. Come, look.
1: Is that... A gun, yes. A 10-gauge double-barrel coach gun from the 1860s. Just like Doc Holliday's. Well, not exactly. Good old Dr. Olin sawed this down to a leopard gun. I'm pretty certain that this is very illegal here. Hitting a shotgun down this short is definitely frowned upon by the legal community. What? Know a bit about guns, Donahue. I may have been to the range once or twice. Right. Personal hobbies aside, why would he need this? In case someone was late on paying a bill? He didn't charge. It was a joke, Charles. But honestly, I have no clue. Maybe he felt unsafe, or maybe he was a collector? Of illegal arms? Perhaps he didn't know. Never mind him. What are we going to do with it? Nothing. I'll send him another email. I'd rather
0: have nothing to do with it. Guns interest me very little, and I see even less reason to have it. However, I will also not throw away what could be an important item to Dr. Olin. If he doesn't want it, please let me know. I'd gladly take it off your hands. <laughs> if he doesn't want it, you are welcome to it. For now, it
1: stays in the desk. How was the transcript? Ah, uh, yes. Went pretty well. Not entirely sure what to make of it, if I'm being honest. I appreciate it. It's
0: getting pretty late. We should wrap it up for the night. Your is still on. Oh, so it is. Let me just... This episode was written and produced by Christopher George, Charles Talbot was voiced by Christopher George, Lucian Donahue was voiced by Dakota Hamlin, script editing was done by Dalton Lewis. Hey guys, Chris here. You may have noticed we have a new voice that has joined our little story. I would personally like to thank him and our new script editor. We also wanted to thank each and every one of you who has listened so far, and everyone that comes after that. It makes us so happy to see more and more listeners each day, and keeps us inspired to create more content. We have even bigger plans moving forward, and if you wanted to help out, please share this with your friends, your family, strangers on the bus, and whoever else you think it appropriate. And if you wanted to help out just a bit more, our Patreon can be found at Patreon.com/slash/ThePatientFiles. And as always, stay safe and stay sane.